and it sounds like you are meaning it. How good is that? Thank you for the beautiful worship this morning, worship team. Hallelujah. Well, just before I begin, just to uh, acknowledge that we have some guest cards called Be Our Guest. This is an opportunity just for you to take a few and be prayerful and mindful even at this time and to say, hey, look, to someone that the Lord is laying on your heart to just hand that out and say, hey, would you be my guest? I'd love you to come and join us for the Christmas Eve service or any other service that you're thinking of. You can take a couple, write your name down there and number or get their name and number, but it's just an invitation for people to, another way you can find a way to inv- invite someone. And so we have those cards and they'll be available on the, on the desk for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the next few moments together. Thank you for the beautiful time this morning in sharing and hearing uh, Maureen's story, her testimony, and your grace in that. And we thank you that you love, reminding us even from Maureen how much you love each and every one of us. So today, Lord, we pray that you would uh, again be able to speak into our hearts. Pray we leave differently than the way we came. And we know that a lot of that is our choice, but we pray, Lord, that we be willing to hear nonetheless. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, firstly, I just want to speak, uh, this is just a two-part series, and this is the second part of spiritual oppression. I want to go in a particular direction that some of you may or may not be familiar with. And so I just want you to uh, take it home, have a think about it, pray about it, and get a sense of what God may be uh, wanting to say to you. I wrestled with uh, what to, under this covering of spiritual oppression, what to, to, I suppose, give it a focus. And the focus really is God's design. And what I want to do in the next few moments is just unravel a little bit of God's design. And I pray that you can lean in. I pray... For some of you, this is going to sound a little off, a little different, a little strange. And for some of you, it'll be quite familiar. And what you do with this message is really your prerogative. Okay, it's up to you, it's up to me what we we do. And so I hope in the next little moment or two that God will speak to you and speak to me. I want to reveal, in a sense, a thread of the tactics of the enemy. We have a real enemy. If you're a believer today, maybe if you're not, the reality is that we have someone who's constantly harassing and opposing us as as followers of God, as children of God. And that's the reality. You, me, our families, and we've been singing about that, speaking the name of Jesus, because that's the promise that we have. That's what we get to look at. It's what we get to behold But I want to unravel a little bit of a tactic this morning that you may or may not be overly familiar with, and I pray that either way, today you will leave informed in some sense. What you want to do with it, how you want to believe it, well, that's entirely up to you. So that's why I'm going to speak this morning on spiritual oppression, God's design. We shouldn't be easily surprised or unaware or easily dismissed that the enemy has a set of tactics against us. And I want to speak about Jesus, and I want to speak Jesus, and I want to lift Jesus up. There's no doubt about it. 
But I want to just highlight a couple of things to do that. So we shouldn't be surprised when we feel like we're under attack. We shouldn't easily dismiss when the enemy is doing something that we maybe are not familiar with. The reality is since the Garden of Eden, his plan has not changed. He's using the same plan of attack. And I like what Isaiah says, and if this is a glimpse of, of a prophetic insight into this enemy, this devil, this arch enemy of God's people, it's really interesting. It says that we will come and we will look and behold and go, is this the one who shook the nations? Are you kidding me? Is this the one who deceived us and tricked us? Is this the one? You've got to be kidding me. Anyway, you can look that up in Isaiah 14, 16. So in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, and I'm adding some words here just to help uh, give, give its tone be or stay alert and of sober, ready mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This word means to oppose, destroy, ruin and attack. Did you just read that? Did you hear that? Not the enemy, not their enemy, your enemy. Specifically to the church, but to God's people. You have an assigned enemy. The devil is an assigned enemy. And we need to see this for what it is. It actually means he is your opponent. He is your assigned opponent or adversary. So we want to understand how do we get the upper hand? How do we defeat? How do we understand what this enemy is trying to do? Now we know Jesus brought us to victory. We know that we can only ever experience the victory this side of heaven through the name and person of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that we are, at are not attacked or that we live a, a carefree life. And so you may think this is a little odd coming up to Christmas that we talk into this, but it has everything to do with Christmas. Everything. Everything. So what you do is when you have, maybe it's opposition in business, not, that, not so much, but certainly in sport, when you're wanting to come up against an opposing team, what they do is they look over hours and hours of footage. They look to learn and discover the tactics of the team, the coaching strengths and weaknesses, the players individually. They look at them and they go over and then they get, the coach gets with his team and he says, watch out for this, watch out for number two, watch out for number seven. This is what they do. And that's what I'm hoping today that I can do with you. We need to study, study, and study, and not forget and to know our enemy. Sun Tzu, in the art of war, knowing your enemy, said, look for signs of the enemy's behavior, interpret them to understand the enemy's weaknesses and how to react accordingly. So the battle is not new, you know that. And Jesus said we have an enemy, and we've heard even before, we're narrowly sharing about that, the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy who is against us. It's very much against you, human form, and demonic or spiritual. So that's the reality. Now I'm going to pause for a moment and just remind you of what happened a few weeks ago with spiritual oppression. 
we looked into this message and we understood that from Daniel's vision, don't, don't get caught up in the timing of it, get, up, get caught up in the sense of what it was revealing. And it was revealing that the enemy comes against God's people to weary them. It's not just a physical tiredness or a soul tiredness, but it's a spiritual fatigue. And we see that in the weariness of destroying destiny, delighting in dismay, and draining out devotion. If you are weary this morning, it may not just be a physical weariness, but a spiritual weariness, and that could mean that the enemy has somewhere how advanced. Maybe right now you are in a battle for you, for your marriage, for your relationships, for the people around about you, maybe your community, your workplace, I don't know. But I would ask you to have a look at these, review it. You can go online and listen to the message and take some notes and ask God and pray it through. It's very important that we get that for where we're going next. But I do want to say on a positive note, <laughs> we're getting there is that we need to understand the purpose and idea, God's idea behind the church. The church is us, not the building. It is defined by believers fitting together to strengthen and fulfill the mission. It is believers coming together to advance the kingdom of God, exercising our calling, raising up a standard in the world, learning how to be makers of disciples and become disciple makers. We are called to be the salt and light of the world, but we almost always have to remember we have to point to Jesus. And our focus must be on the kingdom within us. So for the church to walk in this fullness and, and brilliance, this completeness requires the Holy Spirit to help us. Would you agree there is no area of life in which we as believers do not need the help of the Holy Spirit? I would say... I would agree. Would you agree without the full life of the Holy Spirit it is impossible to build up the body of Christ? Well, I would agree. Again, you can make your own uh, decisions and thoughts on that. So as a community of faith, God calls us out of something into something. We are the called out ones to proclaim his praises and walk in the light, says 1 Peter and Ephesians 3. And then we get a picture of the church, this body of us coming together that is the bride of Christ. It is a powerhouse, friends. It's an amazing, glorious, joy-filled environment and space overflowing with the life of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Or it should be. It's a place of invitation Encounter, awakening, humility, wholeness, renewal, and transformation. The church is a spiritual house, Peter reminds us of this, that carries a spiritual identity, one such purpose of being together. The design of the church for her calling to be made manifest is not to satisfy not to satisfy a physical or social need, but to satisfy a spiritual need. And that is why we have the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, to guide us through every single day, day by day and week by week. The Holy Spirit is central to our fellowship of sharing in the Spirit 
as we gather in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus said, I will send you the comforter. John 14, 26, this helper, this Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity will do two things, particularly he will reveal truth and he will testify of Jesus. And we need to see that. That's, that's the design of the church. That's what happens when we come together, the revealing of truth and the testifying of Jesus. And the reason for this is because we are not without opposition. We need the Holy Spirit. Spiritual warfare reminds us the very reality that we contend with spiritual powers and spiritual authorities. Please, some of you may dismiss this and say, well, Louisa's talking about this, but no, this is reality. This is the theme. This is the message of the Bible. It's here because we need to be warned. We need to remind and, be rem and remember and be reminded of this. All of us do. I do, included. Paul reminds us that the battle against the devil's schemes is a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Sometimes we, we want to react physically, but it's spiritual. First place to go is go to pray, seek the Lord. Ask him, show me what's happening here. We need to be fully aware of Satan's evil plans. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, in order that Satan may not outwit us, or outsmart us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. I wonder how many of us today could be unaware of his schemes right now against you and your home and your family and your loved ones and the community. Who, who knows? God knows. So I want to unravel this a little bit this morning and I'd love to spend a whole lot more time on this, but I'm just going just to give it and I'm going to ask you to, to take it. Take what? God's speaking to you about. I'm not having to go at anybody, I'm not having to go at me, I'm not having to go at anyone. I'm just, this is the message. In fact, I had a different message Monday morning and God laid this message. I said, Lord, I don't know, I'm the one who needs to. He said, you are the one. I said, thank you, Lord. No. In my mind. Let's have a look at this together. There's a story that unravels. This is mega narrative of, within the Bible that gives us this clear picture that the any Enemy, the enemy, pardon me, intends to, to uh, weaken and dissolve the body of Christ, of her calling, her presence and her position, position. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it and I'll give you the keys to the heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Excuse me. <clears throat> The enemy has sought to cut short the, the church, to break her down, to weaken her, to distract her, to destroy her, to damage her credibility, shame her, defame her, and blame her for all the evils that we have in our world. It's part of one of the agendas of the enemy. Rather, the church needs to become like a voice calling out in the wilderness, friends. She is to be a lamp to light the way, a voice to all generations. And... Jesus is referring to these keys. Primarily, I believe that speaks of revealed knowledge and authority, but we'll work on that later. So notice with me a couple of thoughts right here. Number one, the enemy attacks the word of God with doubt. But there's more. We start looking at Genesis. Have a look at this, Genesis 3, 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. 
He said to the woman, did God really say? Eve and Adam and Eve already heard the word. They received the word of the Lord. But the devil comes back and he can't cast doubt on the existence of God. Because they know. They've seen. They've walked. So he casts doubt on the very trustworthiness of God's nature. But there's more than that. Casting doubt on the word of God. The word of God is what they needed to sustain them. It's what the word of promise, did God really say? So they've got the word and now the devil's coming in and he's trying to corrupt the word. Have you ever had a promise? Have you ever heard something? You, someone spoke well and you could, a teacher may have said something amazing about you, but another teacher says something and you remember that. It undoes all the good you've heard about you. All the hopefulness that you're hoping for. That one comment. And this is what the enemy does. He comes in. The devil has come in and from the beginning he has sought to rob God's word from our hearts. This is what he seeks to do. When we lose God's word and his promise in our, in our very hearts, we become, we become fragmented. Corrupted in a sense. Sometimes we doubt, did God really say that? The devil sought to corrupt the word of God that was already received. He couldn't stop it going out. So he'll try the next best thing. Bear with me again as we look at number two. The enemy attacks the word of God with distraction. Matthew 4, we're going to go into the New Testament. Jesus has been fasting and praying. Leaders have been fasting and praying. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a great opportunity to get closer with God and get a real sense of God's abiding presence. But it doesn't come without opposition. So Jesus has been praying for six weeks and fasting and he's led into the, into the wilderness, into the desert by the enemy. And as he goes in there, what do you think is going to be the first temptation? Worship. No, it, the devil goes straight after his felt need. Jesus was hungry. This is where he was vulnerable. And look what Jesus says. This is amazing. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Wow. How about that? How about if we were people who were able to live not just on food and everything else, but to live from the very words of God that come into our heart and life? Well, Jesus is making that statement. He says, and he questions the devil, because the devil is questioning the very word of God and its place. As I was praying about this text and reading this through, I felt the Lord say to me that often we think that of just of the temptation that Jesus was experiencing. But there's something of a grandeur plan that was unraveling here. The devil sought to distract Jesus, to distract him. And I believe that distraction is the greatest temptation we face today. When we, we, we should be praying, not watching three hours of Netflix. What's the average now? Six hours a day or something? I don't know. We should be praying. I know for the seniors, you, you, you're exempt from that. You probably don't watch it. It's good. Bless you. <laughs> Keep praying for us. All those, I mean. <laughs> oh, thank you. A couple of people got that one. The greatest temptation is distraction. I remember saying it said that if enemy cannot get you bad, he'll get you busy. 
In Mark 4, speaking of sowing and the seed going out, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the seed. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. See? Corrupt, doubt, distraction, intimidation. Where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes the word that is sown in them. Friends, God has an amazing vision for the church to be an expression of magnificence here on earth, representing heaven. A place of fullness of life and mission and purpose and vision and the Great Commission. Christ has given us these promises. So the enemy's plan will still look to corrupt and distract and destroy. Destroy. <laughs> oh, it is a little bit of that times. The word of God that we have received. But then there's one more story. There's one more story. Queen Jezebel. Ahab was king of Israel. And this is an interesting place to go because the mega narrative is just amazing when you read Genesis to Revelation. You just get how the devil is so relentless. It does not give up. When you're weary and tired, the devil just keeps going and going. It's one more hit. It's one more hit. You watch boxing. I don't like boxing, but I don't like it. It's one. I like martial arts and all those sorts of things, but I don't like boxing. Just, I don't know why. But I tell you what, you watch how they just, they just wait for that one more. It's that one. And sometimes it's not the big one. It's just the one more in the same place, and boom, they're down for the count. Enemy just keeps going, just keeps hitting the same, same sore spot. In the Old Testament, we learn of this key strategy from the enemy, how the devil used this queen to derail God's people. It's terrible, it's horrific. So much evil was, was introduced in, into, with God's people. She ushered in a widespread worship of Baal, and she spread fear amongst God's people. It can happen. COVID could do that. Other things could do that. The devil just use anything just to, just to control and to spread fear and derail God's people. Now, Obadiah is one who's connected to the house and he informs Elijah and he says, Mate, she's killing all the prophets. But I've got 100, I've got 50 in this cave and 50 in this cave. Elijah's furious. He's like, right, this is it. Showdown day. This is it. Call him. He meets with Ahab, the king, and says, get all your prophets. Get everyone together. And, and I'm going to meet you down the hill. And we're going we're to have a showdown. This is going to be on for young and old. So this is what happens. So he, he gets this, and they build a pit around it as well. And there's a showdown. And, and these prophets of Baal are just are cutting themselves. They're mutilating themselves all day. All day. Elijah's watching this. He's watching them just go for cutting and dancing and singing and chanting and cutting and blood everywhere. It was horrible. Nothing happened. Their God didn't answer. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Time's up. Now my turn. Prepare the altar. Put the meat on. Put the water. Drench it three times. Make sure this is definitely wet. Dig it. Ditch. Fill it up. Worship God, thank you, God, you are the only holy, true to God. Whoop, boom, all the guns, licked up all the water, everything. Oh, wow, your God must be real. Wow. You think that would be it? You think that would be the end of the story, but no. Little, I say little because you'd have to study, we haven't got time to study King Ahab. 
not a great representation of manhood. But anyway, he, he goes home and hops in bed with wifey. He says, how's your day? So oh, it's not been a good, good day. What happened? I got your prophet's got killed. Sorry? Oh, your prophet's got killed. She says, what? She sits up in bed. Like she's, she wasn't, you wouldn't want to mess with Jezebel. Okay, Ahab didn't. Okay, he's, she sits up and she said, right, messenger, come here, quick. You send this word to Elijah, that, that prophet Elijah. And she's been going off and killing the prophets. She's been going off and killing, 1 Kings 18.4. She's going off and she's killing them. Obadiah is now hiding some of the prophets, 50 in one cave, 50 in another. This is, this is terrible. This is shocking. This is terrible. But this is the plan of the enemy. He, he doubts. He corrupts. He throws it all at us. He tries to distract us and get us caught up with the business of life. And so we just hum, ho-hum and, and we don't realise the enemy is working against us. And then we see this. So she sends a word and she says to Elijah, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by not tomorrow... I will make your life like one of them. In other words, she made a death threat to him. You would think Elijah's like, well, yeah, who are you? He hears the word. He runs. He's in fear. It led him into great depression. I can talk about what happened there, but not today. I can talk about, be careful of some of the stuff you hear because when it, when it gets in, it can do irreparable damage. Let's just leave that out for the moment. That's another message. So what happened here is the enemy sought to kill off the word of God. <clears throat> to destroy the word. The oppressive nature of the enemy is to silence the church and to lose its voice. Is this enemy real? Is he there? Maybe you don't believe in the devil. Don't believe in Satan. Maybe you don't. God does. Paul did. The New Testament writers did. I believe this could be the same tactic that was used to kill the prophets is the same tactic that the enemy is trying to do now, to kill off the prophet and the prophets. What does that mean? The meaning is simple, to kill off the prophetic voice for God's people. To cut it off so we don't hear from God. And you go, well, we're talking about New Testament. I'm not talking about New Testament times. Have a look at where this position is for the church to be positioned and to be who she is to be. It is not without opposition. For some of you, this is going to be just a little deep, but I'm just going to go there and ask you. I'm happy to have questions afterwards and talk this through. But we just get to see this running commentary and, and narrative of the enemy just coming again and again. And I feel like God is wanting to cry out to us and reach out to us and say, come on, friends, come on, church family, let's, let's be alert to what the enemy is trying to do. This is not one way that the enemy should be taking us out and trying to silence us. So it is the same tactic that is used to disarm the gifts and presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. He is sought to, to limit the prophetic voice of God, the flow of God's word being released amongst his people and his church. He's causing them to give up and denounce and set down, even settle down. Their appointed role and authority. 
She killed the prophets and then she sought to kill Elijah and it was working as he ran for his life. See, if the devil can't, get to, can't work to cast doubt upon the word of God, if he cannot distract us from the word, then surely he has one more tactic to execute. And this is real, friends. I've seen it. The oppressive nature of the enemy is to silence the church and for her to lose her voice, the voice of God. This is the work of the enemy through Jezebel. This Jezebel spirit sought to silence the prophetic word spoken to God's people, to cut the word off. See, the devil sought to corrupt with doubt the word it already received. Second, the devil sought to bring distraction away in place of the word of God. And then through Jezebel, the devil sought to completely prevent the word of God going out in the first place. That's a lot. And I'm giving you a lot today. Friends, if the enemy can concede against God's people, it is to prevent the prophetic word of God being released amongst us. The gift of prophecy is God's given ability to reveal God's truth and proclaim it in a timely and relevant manner for encouragement, edification, understanding, correction and repentance. And when the absence of this prophetic, this gift of prophecy is not released in the church, we will do very well just to, to ho-hum and go through the motions. And what is God collectively saying to us? Nearly made the invitations. We've been praying and fasting. What is God saying to you? None of us want to go through the motions. We're not here. You're here today because God stirred your heart. And you are here for different reasons, but you are here. And God wants you to hear this. This is the heart of God for us as his church, as his people. Please hear me. Prophecy is a message from God in the speaker's known language. It is the heart of God being made manifest or revealed. There's so much to say in this for time. And you think about it, it makes perfect sense. See, the devil knows the Bible better than you and I do. And he quoted it to our Lord and Saviour Jesus in that moment of temptation we just read. He quoted it to him. And Jesus quoted it back. This is the word of God. This is the son of God quoting back the word of God to the enemy. See, the devil is realising he's missing something. And if he can deceive us as a church, that we can just go through the motions and we can hear the message and hear, sing the songs, but if God is not speaking amongst us collectively, what does that mean? So the devil is looking in the Bible, page after page, going through. It must be here. It must be here. He's looking through. He's finding. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Because he's read it, he knows what's going to happen, he sees it all, and yet, there's one thing he cannot know. There's one thing he cannot know, and God has revealed it to the church. He doesn't know what God's going to say next. And how can God say that but through the prophetic word? The devil cannot say he knows the scripture, but how can he counteract that? So it blows him away, he's like, we get together and if we just don't receive that gift released within the body, we don't hear that word of encouragement from God that stimulates growth and wholeness and wellness, that sets churches free, sets families free, sets individuals free. The devil doesn't want you knowing that. 
So we don't believe in it. Others may be believing it, others don't. Hear my heart this morning, I've got to get this out. I've got to get this. This is a word where I really feel so burdened about, so nervous about, trembling, fear and trembling all week. Lord, no, another word. I've got a great word over here. But God said, I've got to deliver this. I've got to deliver it. And I want to be faithful in that for you and for me. It makes perfect sense. The devil's in a tailspin. When God speaks the release of the prophetic word in the congregation, the devil's in a tailspin. I didn't know that. I didn't see that coming. Of course not. God doesn't confer with you. The devil, i.e. This is not man's words. This is not preparation and planning something to speak. It's more than preaching. It's a freshly divine, revealed word of God, spoken and released by the Holy Spirit in the third person of the Trinity being released for his people. The devil took some time to understand this. And we'll see this at Christmas. We'll see this in a couple of weeks, Christmas Eve. Wow, this is just in, in, you want to see what's happening here. I want to speak about love, joy, peace and patience and all those beautiful things. Oh, I so do. But you know that. But I want to remind you of what's happening right now in our world, what's happening against the church, what's happening against the church. The devil took some time to work this prophetic gift out. When the prophetic word is released, the devil scrambles. The devil loves to create division, confusion, misunderstanding, doubt, recklessness and abandonment. The devil is, is backpedaling. He's been found out. You're being, you are now realising what he doesn't know. He doesn't know what God is going to do next. He doesn't know how God is going to do it for his people. And that's why it's so powerful. And if God's people only knew what could be released from the Spirit of God through their authority of Jesus, sent from the Father, wow, what would that look like? In 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to speak about tongues this morning. We can do that another day, but I want to focus on, on what Paul is focusing here. And it's really important because he's speaking to the church. And this is what he's saying to the church. Follow the way of love. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, the King James says, or New King James says, pursue it. Pursue love. So even if we disagree, and we can disagree, that's okay, but we pursue love in our disagreement. In our disagreement or in disagreeing. He says, pursue love, but he says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, but above all else, especially prophecy. For no one prophesies, speaks, but, sorry, but he who prophesies speaks edification to bring strength, exaltation to lift up, and comfort to cheer up. I know I've gone a little bit over time. Just bear for a moment. But he who prophesies edifies the church. There are ways in which God will speak to the church in a divine way, through an accountable way. Prophecy should not really so much be individual and, and segregated or separate. It, it, it can be, but mostly for the church it needs to be corporately because it can be judged and it can be weighed up to determine this is what God is saying. I haven't got time to go into that. But let's, let's go on. But I would rather you prophesy. For the one who prophesies is greater, not the person, but speaking of the gift, because the church will be edified. And in verse 31, that you all may prophesy one by one, that you all may learn and understand, and that you all may be confident. Prophecy is calling the treasures and secret bestowals of God within our heart into reality. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, I'm just about to close. But on the other hand, it says in the Amplified, the one who prophesies speaks to people for edification. 
How blessed would we be to hear the word of God edify us? Not just with a sermon, but with a word of God, as Jesus said, from the mouth of God. And to speak the words of encouragement, to uphold and advise concerning the matters of God, and to speak words of consolation and to compassionately comfort them. See, prophecy is said, Dr. Bill Hannum says this, prophecy is important in the life of the church because prophecy is the most edifying gift for the congregation. Prophecy is a supernatural speech in a known language. It speaks about bubbling and bringing forth something from God, not from man, but from God. Man is involved because he is a vessel, or woman is a vessel. Charles Witterson said, prophecy is simply God speaking through you. The Holy Spirit has given us all spiritual gifts. We have divine abilities given to every Christian, and by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, to be used to serve and strengthen one another and glorify God. That's what it's for. And we must stay spiritually alert. We must be aware of the influences of the enemy that come to take and to spoil. And the enemy has revealed his tactic, the greatest tactic, to destroy this, to shut down the voice of God. I could say so much more. In Jeremiah 1.12 it says, God is watching over his word. I believe that when the church becomes confident in the release of these gifts and God's word, then there's a strong release of God that we get to experience his blessing beyond any measure. I close with a sense of Paul's final thoughts and instructions to the believers in 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Then he says, do not quench. This speaks of a prolonged form of suppression of the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. What a final warning for an end time church to heed. Because God's prophetic word will bring new release and new strength for us as believers. I've seen people set free in congregations. I've seen marriages and families being restored from this word. I've seen the congregation where it's been great conflict or division just, just healed in an instant. It's crazy. It's amazing. See, when the release of God's word in prophecy in our meetings, then there's a release of supernatural oppression. Demonic strongholds are loose. The enemy is put on notice and lives are set free. Healing flows. Grace increases. Mercy secures. Love manifests. And unity triumphs. The enemy is relentless. relentless at stifling the release of the prophetic word. Can I ask the band to come forward, please? I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Because if the enemy cannot corrupt and distort, if the enemy cannot corrupt or derail or cause distraction, then the enemy will finally try to cut off and nullify and destroy God's word. And I know as this family, as I'm part of this family, as we are part of this family, there's nothing more significant and beautiful and amazing to hear the release of that gift, blessing the congregation. Did you read what it, what it says, what happens? God's blessing flows through you to others for edification. Look what that means, to strengthen up. 
exhortation to lift you up. This is God's heart. And to comfort, it means to cheer you up. That's what happens when we come into his presence. In Amos 3.8, it says, The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Or in the New English translation, The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can refuse to prophesy? So I'm going to ask you, and this is my prayer, if you close your eyes, please. Everyone listening to my voice, I'm going to pray. But I'm going to give you some instruction. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you afresh. Ask for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be released upon you. Declare that you are willing, that you are available, and you are ready. Start declaring God's word over your life, over your family, over your circumstances, and over our church family. Prepare yourself to hear from God with the expectation to bring forth a word that is carried not by man, but by the Holy Spirit. A word that brings release and life and healing. And ask God to expect 